I V M. Hello, welcome back to another episode of This Round is on Me. Now, who doesn't love buying chocolates at the airport after a holiday or even at the beginning of one for that matter? I for one always do so. So, I'm particularly excited about my guest today, who's the country general manager for Mars Wrigley India. Talpesh Parmar leads their business for India and is also a member of their global emerging markets leadership team. Talpesh has gained rich global experience and insights, having worked in countries like South Korea, Singapore, Dubai, Turkey, Nigeria, and India, with a specific focus on business development, brand building, route to market, e-commerce, and capability building. Prior to joining them in Jan 2020, just before COVID, Talpesh was associated with Unilever for over 12 years where he led several roles and responsibilities, including as designated CEO for South Korea, Pacific Islands, and Mongolia. Join us after a quick break when we dive into the world of chocolate with Kalpesh. Welcome to the show, Kalpesh. It's so great to have you on. Thank you. And likewise, yeah, thanks a lot for inviting me. Looking forward to you know, interacting with you. You know, I chocolate is, I think, my biggest weakness. And so I'm personally very, very excited to, you know, delve into the world of chocolate with you. And I have to say, you definitely have one of the most enviable jobs in the world. I've heard you carry samples with you everywhere you go. And, uh, you know, I also understand that you, you know, joined Mars Wrigley back in Jan 2020, if I'm not mistaken, you know, which is when you became the country general manager. So, of course, that's just before the world went all topsy-turvy. So how on earth did you navigate those times and, you know, take us through that time for you? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Gauri. Firstly, as I said, you know, going through your journey and all the interesting things what you do, yeah, food and travel, both are very close to my heart. So looking forward to continue the interaction with you and learn more from you. Excellent. Yeah, so again, uh, you know, firstly, yes, it's a great job. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm paid to sell chocolates. And the beauty about the chocolate category is that whenever you interact with anybody, you say that, not just giving them the sample, but just telling them that you sell Snickers, uh, you know, for a living. And it brings a smile on people's face, you know. So what a lovely job. You're spreading happiness every day, right? <laughs> yeah, so I, I am a Bombayite. So I'm Indian. I returned to India after probably 15 years in, in Middle East, Turkey, Africa, Southeast Asia, North Asia. You know, so we yeah, as a family lived in Dubai, Nigeria, Turkey and Singapore. And I was doing the South Korea role from Korea. Firstly, I'm thoroughly impressed with the way our country is shaping. Yeah. While we are, I think, sometimes a bit more critical of ourselves, but uh, having seen talent across the world, I think it's it's time that we should be we should be wearing more pride about our talent, about ourselves. So that that's one big realization. Yeah. So a lot has changed in the last uh, I left in 2005 and back in 2020. A lot has changed for the good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In uh, 2020, when I came in, it was all nice, but then the pandemic strike, I think the pandemic helped businesses across sectors, you know, become more resilient, uh, become more responsible towards the associates, towards the community and towards the, their uh, business uh, strength, business profile. So many companies have transformed. Well, I think we've transformed very well 
during COVID in terms of manufacturing practices, which are more agile, looking at uh, channel practices, which are unique, you know, how we can uh, start lines remotely, not having the OEM in our factory, but uh, using remote camera technologies to startup lines. So a lot of interesting things have happened across. Yeah. Again, Mars is a five principle based business. So that defines how we operate. Yeah. We don't call our colleagues as employees, but we are all associates. So we have an equal voice at work. We want to treat each other the way we want. We would like to treat ourselves. So it's, it's a fantastic privately held organization. Of course, to your question, when we moved to India, it was tough. Yeah. For the family, it was tough because, uh, you know, settling into a new country, more or less new country for the family, for the kids. Uh, of course, Parul and me knew India well. But again, it also brings the whole family together during lockdown. Yeah. So, you know, speaking a little bit more about the impact of the pandemic, you're absolutely right. I think businesses just became more agile and focused. But one thing that I noticed being in the food business was that, you know, health also became a key focus for a lot of people, right? And, you know, how did that part of it impact your business? You know, did you see any impact from that? So we saw a lot of positive impact because the reality was that we are snacking at home, out of home. But then that snacking culture increased at home because now we are not spending time traveling or uh, yes, the meetings increase, but then you also, we all were working harder because of the crisis we were in. So we wanted those small moments of happiness, indulgence, a bit of impulse snacking at home, you know, so that actually helped our business post wave one. Wave one was very difficult on the business. Yeah, because we were not essential categories. So we were not able to deliver to retailers. Uh, But the factories were very resilient. We started production very quickly. And then we saw very good demand, firstly, in packaged foods across our categories. Because a lot of supplies from other players were not available. So we could send our We took risk. And I'm very proud of my associates because they were living with their family, but they left home and they were in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of personal purpose around restarting the business post wave one yeah so we were able to supply we had the right portfolio you know it's not just chocolates it's nut based chocolates or caramel based chocolates or nougat chocolates or twix has a biscuit inside you know bounty has coconut inside so it was a chocolate plus plus mm. that's what gave us that uh, benefit to you know have a place in the consumers bridge heart and their experience during the pandemic and that helped us Manage the business very well and a very good growth uh, since then for the last eight quarters. Uh, to your question, yes, there is a focus on health and wellness in India. And I'm very proud. We as a company focus on health and wellness. We have stepathons. We do a lot of activities well. We have a, a step challenge, etc. From a consumer mindset perspective, we have our consumption of chocolate is very, very minimal. 150 grams per person per annum. But then during COVID, me as a consumer is more feels more comfortable having packaged uh, sweets or chocolates compared to, you know, buying things from trade, you know, in a mithai shop. So I think that also partly helped us because we all wanted to have a bit of indulgence. Mm -hmm. That's why we say we are not a, Mars Wrigley is not a food company. We are a treat company. We are a treat and snacking. It's a small portion and we talk about some responsible portions in many of our bags, a shared bag is 120 calories plus minus or bar is 220 calories. So we define all these 
Right. Things are right. not bad so that the consumer can make a responsible choice. Yeah. That's interesting. It's definitely not food. It's a treat. Yeah. No, and you know, you're absolutely right. I've also always thought of, you know, the chocolates as being an impulse buy. So, you know, I was interested to know which retail channel works best for Mars. You know, is it offline or online? And considering a lot of offline was closed during the peak of the lockdown. And of course, duty-free, right? So airports were closed. You know, it's your go-to indulgence when you're in duty-free to pick up those bite-sized packets of chocolate. So, you know, with all of that closed, how how did the sort of channel make Yeah, so I think, I think uh, yes, the airport or the railways or the offices or the, the travel destinations, travel routes were the last to open up. But then it's not a size, it's not a big size of our business. Right. Because people didn't want to make long trips during COVID. So the local traditional trade store, grocery, Kirana stores were the first to benefit. Then we realized that digital also, in e-commerce, there was a lot of benefits of ordering things what might not be available in my neighborhood Kirana store. So we saw traditional trade recovery, urban and rural. Yeah, I'm very proud that my team had started the rural coverage agenda three, four years ago, and that's come to help us during COVID. So traditional trade, grocery, mm-hmm. rural, urban, both did well. Then e-commerce did very well. Yeah, we were rightfully, we invested long before COVID on the e-commerce channel across sales and marketing and supply chain. So that helped us uh, grab that opportunity. And that opportunity is there forever. And uh, if you look at the modern trade, the hypermarket, supermarkets, that also took some time to recover because the guidelines from the local governments were such where you could not have more than certain number of people in a certain size of store. So that took some time. But right. because of the pandemic, we could have the right mindset in our business across functions. That's what has helped us to grab so many of these opportunities. So, you know, it's interesting. And of course, you know, the digital space took off for everyone, including us, you know, with delivery, obviously with our, you know, our restaurants shifting to a delivery format. But interestingly, I was actually in the US uh, over the summer. And one thing I noticed was the retail part of the business was definitely, you know, not the same as pre-COVID, right? So physically going to stores and malls, etc. It was just not the same experience as before. But I haven't seen the same sort of impact in India. I feel like, you know, people still like the idea of going to a store. And I wanted to ask you, you feel about the scope for creating a chocolate retail experience in India. You know, you have, you have like your whatever Hershey's store and your M&M world. And I know I'm naming all the other brands, but you know, that's what I'm familiar with. So, and now in India, you see, you know, like you'll see a cocoa cart in both in the city as well as in the airports and things like that. So it's very interesting to see that investment happening in physical retail for chocolate specifically. So what are your views on that? Yeah, US is a more developed uh, market from a consumption perspective. So a visit to our hypermarket, you know, is still very mundane. But our country, the lockdowns were more severe. And our experience of shopping in a hypermarket is more about the family entertainment. You know, it's a day out on a weekend. Right. Or it's me time for the homemaker. You know, so that's where I think we have a differentiation in terms of the mindset. We want to, we are a country where we exchange energy, you know, by meeting people, by visiting the store. So I think that's what helped our, you know, modern trade hypermarket stores get better traffic uh, compared to developed world where they've been doing that for a long time. You know, So maybe that might be an insight. Uh, uh, apart from that, I think we still want to haggle and look for deals when we are shopping. 
you know so going to the local market is part of our lifestyle you know so that's uh, it's not similar in many other countries so going to instead of the local market now we go to hypermarkets and right. we look for deals over there right we grab those deals across sectors right so maybe that's part of our uh, dna and hence the recovery has been faster so but what about like you know creating a retail experience around chocolate specifically like do you think there's scope for that in india so so we have partnered with uh, the reliance retail team and they opened a fantastic store called fresh pick in bombay right yeah and we have an mnm experience store uh, inside that store uh, we've got some very good results uh, we are having a mnm experience now in india and we are learning from that uh, retail store it's a premium supermarket opened by the reliance retail team and they invited us to have an mnm retail store over there the initial numbers are very exciting so we are constantly looking at how do we make it bigger scale in future because chocolate based experiences is one of the big things in the developed world and we at the right time want to do more but india is a land of opportunity and there are so many opportunities that me and my team wants to prioritize sure So just coming back to the whole duty free experience because you know like I said when I travel invariably at least when I'm coming back into the country I always always pick up you know bags of chocolate and mars twix the the minis etc I think that's something that you know a lot of people thinks is synonymous with duty free shopping right chocolate and especially a lot of the mars regli brand branded chocolates how do you think mars captured that market share of the airport shopping experience so so what we did is that we quickly realized that a lot of a uh, lot of our consumers and shoppers like you are unable to travel for the next 2 to 1 and a half years because we 80% of our business is made in india but 20% is imported so a lot of things what you buy are actually available in india but we gave the right offering in the right packaging in the right experience through our alternate channels like travel yeah or modern trade or e-commerce or we launched our marsfigletreats.com website uh, during pandemic to make sure that we are able to give the same experience to the families who still long for our treats or products but then are unable to travel so i think we were able to service some of that demand not whole because it's still about going there in duty free in dubai or london or singapore and then buying the so we could not uh, complement the whole exp- uh, compensate the whole experience but we did uh, give them the options to buy so you know i think what i was sort of driving at was what you mean is about sort of recreating that experience as much as possible during the pandemic for people you know in spite of the fact that they couldn't travel but i think what i'm asking is how did you know mars rigley even establish that sort of habit almost of people buying chocolate every time they go you know every time they travel it's it's like like you said you can probably get it you know in your local store but there's just this habit of buying chocolate when you travel i mean it's just a thing that you do so how do you think that that how you know did the brand sort of manage to sort of create that habit in right. a way right a good question uh, so firstly we are new to india yeah we are only under 10 years so we are more than a 100 year old company oh okay in selling chocolates for more than 100 years but in india we are new so historically lot of our family friends who are traveling outside india is their only way to know our products and then we set up the chocolate factory in pune in 
Since then, we are able to localize the offerings a lot more for uh, not only the Indians who travel, but the top half a billion people of India or top billion people of India. So that's why maybe culturally we've been, our products have been imported. Right. But the exponential growth comes in when you are locally available and the local offerings. Yeah. While the top end import buying is an opportunity, but that's, that's not the belly of the India market. Absolutely. It's about Absolutely. having the 10 rupee, 20 rupee chocolate available across Kirana stores, the right shared bags, large packs available in modern trade e-commerce. That's where you get to a scale business. And that's the journey we are on. Of course. Maybe that's the insight. But I think because why you would only buy a pack of Snickers in the duty-free? Because if you open that pack, you will see a layer of caramel. You will see a layer of nougat. You will see peanut. You will see chocolate. That unique experience what a Snickers offers not many brands have been able to match that offer. And that's why every time you buy, you get that fulfillment. No, mm. this is the best quality. And that's one of our principles. Yeah. Quality is one of our principles, which we will never compromise. The same recipe is available in the developed world and in India. So because the quality is consistent over so many decades, that's why when you and I travel outside India, we'll say, I want to you know, buy that product in the duty. Sure, it's that familiarity for sure. Recently, I read in the news how Mars Wrigley is planning to penetrate the rural markets by introducing a one rupee chocolate. You know, firstly, how on earth does that go with, you know, how do you actually manage that from a cost efficiency and, you know, profit margins? But also, how does that go with the brand positioning, you know, of a premium chocolate brand? I think what we said in the past is opening price point chocolates, which is more in the range of 10 rupee plus minus. One rupee is where we sell the government mints. So Boomer is sold at one rupee. You know, a lot of mints are sold at one rupee. But when it comes to chocolate, 40-50% of the category uh, sits at 10-20 rupee mm-hmm. pricing. And we are trying to launch more products in that price range. So we have Snickers at 10 rupee. We have m M&M at 10 rupee. Now we have Galaxy and Variants at 10 rupee. I must say that Galaxy is the best quality chocolate at the rupees 10 price point in the Indian market right now. While there are offerings from other players also, but this is one of the best quality what's available at 10 rupees. So if you are able to consistently uh, keep the 10 rupee experience growing, distributed in urban and rural, then that's one of the big opportunities. And in governments and candies, 1 rupee is the key price point. Apart from premiumizing the 5 rupee, 10 rupee, uh, 20, 50, 100 rupee products in governments. So these are the two key price points, 10, 20 in chocolate and 1 rupee, 5 rupee in governments. Interesting. So you you touched upon, you know, production now happening uh, with unit in Pune and, you know, so manufacturing is actually happening here. How do you ensure, and you, you also talked about that familiarity of flavor that people want, they, you know, it's a, it's a particular taste that they're familiar with. So how do you ensure that quality and flavor remain standardized across the world? I mean, doesn't the local water, milk, etc., all have an impact on production? So there's a very large sourcing team globally, right from buying the right quality of cocoa. Yeah. And Mars has invested a lot in getting the right quality of cocoa and not only quality, but also doing the responsible buying from the right sources where there's no exploitation in the whole value chain. Then we have a large team who looks at sugar, peanut, or all the other ingredients, including milk. There's a very clear specification about what kind of peanut we'll buy. Yeah, what is the quality of that milk? Yeah, so and of course the whole production process is the line is same whether it be India or New York. Yeah, is the same line on which we'll make the quality standards 
are very well controlled. So it is not dependent on me or my supply team in India is how they will make the global guardrails are very strong. So hence, you know, the quality principle is fully in place. Yeah, the processes are standardized. Not anybody can change the process. And hence, you get that experience. And which is, which is a big strength of our brands because uh, that's what brings the consumer uh, every time back to us and then ask for the right for ask for our brands. Sure. So, you know, Karpesh, I'm sure you've seen the exponential growth of Indian chocolate artisanal brands as well. That's, you know, happened in the last few years. And very recently, I was actually talking to one of the Indian chocolate makers about her experience of sourcing you know, from sort of cocoa um, beans from India and around the world. You know, what are your views on this sort of sudden burst of local artisanal chocolate brands in India? Yeah, I think you should name this podcast Chocolate Pecharcha. <laughs> yeah. And I, no, I'm very proud of a lot of these entrepreneurs who are experimenting. Yeah, and I meet them in these flea markets across India, in Gurgaon, Delhi. Yeah, they're, they're doing a fantastic job. Of course, they're inspired by brands like us, all the other players in the Indian market. The scale remains a challenge for them because they are virtually selling at two to three times of large manufacturers. So that's where, you know, for them to have an inflection point, because we are still a cost-conscious, price-conscious country. How do we get that 250, 300 rupees chocolate bar to 100, 120 rupees? Mm -hmm. Because that's the experience, 150. Anything about 200 the premium shopper also is a bit cautious. So it has to be smaller packs, better pricing for them to get scale. Sure. I mean, it's definitely a niche product uh, for sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. today you see a lot of trends coming in, especially when we talk about food technology, right? So what's your take on that? And what are some of the trends that you foresee in the future? So I, I did visit the Anuga Fair, which is the large uh, food fair in Germany last year. And I think one of the big trends what I saw over there was uh, uh, plant-based foods. Yeah, plant-based meat was one of the most crowded sections. It's also one of the most controversial ones right now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it is controversial, but I saw a lot of footfall in that area. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it was the most buzzing area in the whole exhibition. So there's a lot of trials happening. uh, And I see that I remain positive about the food tech in that sector. I think when it comes to snacking, you will see a lot of new product experiences coming in and you mentioned some what are niche. But again, for emerging markets or India, it's about giving that unique chocolate experience what many brands in the category offer at a scale, at a right price point. To the masses. Mm -hmm. And then of course, channels like quick commerce, etc. will help us because sometimes you got out of stock and you want to indulge into a chocolate or you want a pack of gum, chewing gum before you go out somewhere. So then quick commerce, brands like Blinkit and all are delivering things in 10, 12, 13 minutes. So that's another area where our tech is uh, coming in. We do a lot of, uh, use a lot of tech in our uh, customer engagement. So when my my sales force goes out to sell, uh, now that we have data of what we are selling to the outlets across channels for the last two, three, four years, we're able to actually guide the retailer with a lot more information and why she should buy these products and why in this quantity and not more or less. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, she will be out of stock. So there's, there's tech happening in that area. Plus, we have globally a food tech team where we are trying to learn more, uh, mostly on the, in the developed world right now. 
but in future we will see what what else we should learn from the global team which is relevant to India. right now it's about doing the basics well selling distributing the right activating the digital marketing and the traditional platforms of communication you know so yeah it's uh, fmcg is doing the same boring thing consistently. <laughs> uh, absolutely. And I think it's uh, very similar for us as well in the F&B world, uh, you know, with, with using data now that we probably didn't, you know, use efficiently enough uh, previously and just, you know, distribution, etc. So we're all suddenly having to become a little more tech savvy than we have been in the past. Uh, you know, you mentioned something interesting earlier and I, I sort of, um, it stuck with me. You mentioned, you know, your associates having a personal purpose and, you know, taking that, going that extra mile during a, a challenging time. So I believe you've also been tagged as the chief energy officer of the company. So, you know, take us through how you've built that culture or how that culture exists in Mars Wrigley, you know, where people are able to really believe in what they're doing and uh, be aligned with the vision of the company and, you know, how you go about creating this positive environment at the workplace? Yeah, so, you know, my my leadership journey is that finally it is someone's son, somebody's daughter, somebody's wife, somebody's mother who works for me as a colleague. So how do I give them that positive energy every day? Yeah, or during COVID, I would do calls with my team and not all of us are in a habit of using the headphones. So the family would listen to the, our conversation. So I realized that, oh, my team member is talking to me right now and her son is listening to my chat. His wife is listening to my discussion. So what is the message they are going to take from this chat? So I became a bit more conscious that this is not just a colleague coming to office, but this is someone's uh, some family member and that person is somebody's father, husband, kid. You know? So I became a lot more responsible about how I conduct myself. And then that continues now in office where since we are a chocolate company, we sell happiness for a living. How do we, you know, keep that mood positive? Yeah. How do we drive performance by really showing that authentic care, authentic care for themselves, for their development and for their well-being? And then they give you the best. And that's what is our experience so far. So tell us some of the best practices that you would kind of advise, you know, a smaller organization that really wants to create a culture. I mean, I've been through that with ours, you know, we're a 12 year old company, but I don't think we ever really defined our culture. We were just sort of, you know, going along and it was people who were, you know, somewhat like minded on in values that, you know, fit in. But we also felt the need to actually define it, you know, like you mentioned the principles behind you, etc. So, you know, I mean, in all your years of experience of being a leader, how would you, uh, you know, what, what would you advise some of the best practices to be? So, so firstly, 85, 90% of people in most of the functions at a senior level who come into Mars are welcomed by me. So if a sales officer in Nagpur is joining us, yeah, before joining, I would get on a 10 minute chat with the person. Yeah. So by doing that, I do two things. I'm having a good control of the quality of people coming in because for the culture to, for me to allow my team to, you know, for me to allow them to empower, to be empowered, I need the right people. So my focus is on getting the right people in the team. And then you manage the business by inspiring them, by supporting them, by supporting them, especially when things go wrong. Yeah. Showing them that belief. Yeah. And then we need to have a lot of fun at work. So that we all come together as friends. Mars is a family business. So we are all part of the larger Mars family ecosystem. So how do we, you know, support each other and then help them when they need help? 
Yeah. But be a coach rather than a manager. Yeah. Sometimes let them make mistakes. Yeah. See them make mistakes and then it's very difficult. But then how do I keep quiet and let them falter? Yeah. So that they learn from these mistakes. Of course, not costly mistakes, but manageable, affordable mistakes. Yeah. So that's how the culture is evolved. Of course, not sitting in boardroom, but how do we sit more in the open office? We have an open office. Nobody has cubicles. I sit at the similar desk to any of the colleagues. So how am I approachable? So I do something which is which is my favorite word is management by wandering around. So I go around office and talk to anybody and everybody. Yeah, I spend time with them. Sometimes, of course, if I want to uh, get something done with colleagues, so I will go to their desk and say, you know, what happened about this? How are we? Is there any update on this? But it's mostly about just giving them that positive energy at work, you know, and uh, checking in on them, checking in on some of the issues if they had some personal issues and I'm aware of that. Yeah, just spending those three to five minutes. That's the beauty about going back to office because I can interact with 15 people in one hour, you know, while I'm in office. During pandemic on Teams, it was very difficult. Of course. Uh, Well, the whole work from home debate is a whole different thing. What has been the role of mentors in your professional journey? And, you know, how do you use that experience in being a mentor yourself? I go back to my personal board of directors very often. This includes some of my ex-bosses, some of my colleagues at work today, and some of my very close friends, you know, and and I keep updating them. Oh, this is what is happening right now. You know, this is my plan. And then I go to them with some tough uh, questions, what I'm facing, and then seek their guidance. I think two of my favorite words in the last, during pandemic has been being vulnerable and being humble. Yeah. So vulnerability, not only with my personal board of directors, with but with my leadership team. Yeah. They know I'm super vulnerable. I think they know what are my strengths, what are my areas of opportunity. And I bank on them on areas where I'm not good at. And they know that, that I'm a simple person. You know, and I will bank a lot on them to manage the business that makes them sharper, stronger, builds a new muscle into them. And then they progress in their career. I love the idea of a personal board of directors. I haven't heard that before, but that's very apt. I'm going to take a quick break before we enter the last segment of the show. So stay on. Welcome back. So... Let's move away from business and talk about all the things that, uh, you know, we clearly have in common, which is, uh, let's start with food. Kalpesh, tell me, what's your go-to comfort food? Mm, I, have, I, have, I have comfort food by state in India <laughs> or by country. So that, that can be a different podcast, what both of us can do. In That's future. a whole podcast altogether. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm a, I, I, my favorite cuisine is the Bombay cuisine. You know, so any, any food, what you find in Bombay, be it the roadside, uh, snacking or going into my favorite restaurants, more on the non-veg side, you know. So yeah, and the, anywhere in India, uh, my team knows that this is Kalpesh's top one or two restaurants. And if I'm traveling there, they know that I will take them there. So yeah, we bond over food as a team. Most of my colleagues across functions, they bond with me over food. I'm not much of a liquor fan, but it's more on the food side. So yeah, biryani, a well-made biryani. You know, a Bombay-style biryani is my food. Mm-hmm. But of course, I cannot afford to have it every day. But yeah, once once a week or once a fortnight, yeah, I would I would try that. Seafood, yeah, is another uh, comfort food. Yeah. Otherwise, it's salad. I balance it with a lot of salad. <laughs> uh, I don't know about how much comfort salad brings, but uh, yes, we all need we need a good salad in our lives. Yeah, when you have a lot, um, a lot of meat uh, for a, yeah. for a few meals, then 
you the you like salad because you need that balance absolutely that that's uh, that's welcome to my world where <laughs> I'm I'm surrounded by food and I constantly have to be mindful of uh, of finding balance. What's a great book you've read or a podcast you've heard in the recent past that you can share? On podcast, uh, one of my favorite podcast is uh, The Look and Sound of Leadership. So Tom Henschel is an American actor, stage actor, and then since 2008 he's been running the podcast. He does one podcast a month and I always tell my colleagues and friends that if you listen to his podcast it's as good as having a life coach because his podcasts are about about experiences at work so you have a conflict with a colleague how do you resolve that conflict you are nervous when you are presenting or preparing for big meetings there's a podcast around that you know so there are and he gives most of the podcast he gives a story about that incident at work and then he works on a solution so you know when i'm running or cycling i listen to these podcasts so yeah it's it's during the tough at uh, times in my career i have gone back to these podcasts and i felt like wow tom has been my coach and in terms wow. of a uh, book uh, i'm currently reading this book the mind of a leader it builds a lot of uh, em- emphasis on collaboration empathy you know being mindful about people around you surroundings and how you re- react in tough situations so it's a fantastic book i'm in fact i've gone back to reading it i've read it Four or five years ago, I'm reading it again. Very interesting. I'm going to look up both of those. What's a productivity tool you rely on? So I start at least six, seven days in a week with a lot of exercise. So I, I that I that energizes me at work, and my team can clearly say, "Oh, today he runs five, seven kilometers and come because he's oozing with energy." You know, so so that starts my day well, and I get a lot of energy from there, and then I'm like all charged up uh, to come to work. Yeah. uh so so my productivity tool is exercising apart from that uh, yeah it's your your iphone is your strength but it's also your weakness mm-hmm. you know so that can be one of the things uh, not a productivity tool but a life tool is my fitbit watch yeah mm-hmm. i always tell people that we have so much data about our business or about our work performance or our pnl but we don't have any data about our health yeah so i i am a big fan of fitbit well it shows data about how many steps i have done what's my resting heart rate the quality of sleep i have done and it gives you some rating in terms of you know what's your exercise level and what what level are you in so it's like a nice sweet competition you have every day mm. and that makes you a better and healthy person right so no i completely resonate with you on the impact of starting your day with exercise what's the best investment you've made in your journey I think in terms of best investment I think my network I network without the need to network today I am with you and I want to be in touch with you because I saw some common interests but then I want to be in touch with you I want to exchange that positive energy some common interests what we have and that network tomorrow some of my friends may need something from Gauri or Gauri may need something from a chef who's my friend and yeah so and and i'm very proud that having traveled many countries i have this you know authentic network in many countries and it's not about being in touch with them every quarter every year but that authentic moment what you spend with them can be with you for life so i think my biggest uh, investment is investing on my relationships across the world and then being available for them when they reach out to you absolutely as they say right your network is your is your net worth and yeah. i'm definitely going to 
tap into your your network of chefs and <laughs> food people in your life. Look, before I let you go, I have to ask, what's your definition of success? So, uh, success for me is that I should be able to run a marathon with my grandkids. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so I need to be healthy uh, and I should be able to travel to a place wherever my grandkids are in the whole world. Yeah, so that's success for me that I'm able to, you know, run maybe faster than them. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Kalpesh, for being on the show and I wish you the very, very best. Excellent. Looking forward to probably host you in our Gurgaon office and we the, a lot of chocolates are kept for you. So <laughs> You can count on it. <laughs> figure out a way to send the, this to your whole team on this show. You guys are based in Bombay, right? Yes. yes. Okay, what part of Bombay? Well, we're all over, but uh, our offices and our recording studios in Khar. So. Nice, nice. So yeah, I'm a Bombayite, uh, true blue Bombayite. So we'll try our best to send you guys chocolates very soon. We, and then we look forward uh, to see it. you in Bombay. <laughs> Definitely. Thank you so much again. Yeah, thanks. Thanks to your team, Saroini, others. Thanks a lot. All the best. Bye-bye. That was definitely some great insight into the world of chocolate. And it remains to be seen how the numerous local artisanal brands penetrate the market and build their market share against established players like Mars Wrigley. For those of you listening in from Bangalore, you may be interested to know that for the first time, a convention is being held called the Indian Cacao and Craft Chocolate Festival, which aims to bring together Indian cacao farmers, chocolate makers and enthusiasts on the 12th and 13th of November 2022. You can find out more on Instagram at Indian Craft Chocolate Festival. I hope you enjoyed tuning in today. Do catch the earlier episodes when you get a chance. And more importantly, I would love to hear from you with your thoughts on the show. You can find me on Instagram at Gauri Devideyal or on Twitter at Gauri Details or LinkedIn. Either way, sit back and relax because this round is on me.